0: hello again fight fans welcome to episode number 323 of the neutral corner boxing podcast i am your host michael montero for ring magazine ring tv.com and the ring digital youtube channel where you are watching me live right now as always i remind you please make sure you're subscribed and you click that little notification bell and uh if you can't catch the live video every monday it's all good. You guys know where to catch the audio pod, which comes out on Tuesday. Anywhere that you listen to your podcast, wherever, whatever platform you prefer, just look up Montero Unboxing, the neutral corner. Boom, you'll find me. Make sure that you're following. Leave ratings, reviews, all that good stuff, because that is how we spread the word about this show. We don't do ads here. Uh, we spread the word organically. Our entire audience globally is organically built That's what's so awesome. That's what I'm so proud of on this show. And the way we do it, guys, is there's a simple fee that we have here on the show. It's non-monetary. All I ask is that if you get something out of the show, you spread the word. You tweet about it. You post it on your blog. You post it on your Facebook, your TikToks, whatever the hell it is you're into. Just tell people about it, okay? And I ask that you do that every week. Don't just do it once. Don't say, ah, I listen to all 323 episodes, but I shared it once. That's not paying the fee, man. I need you to do it every week, okay? That's how you pay the fee. Uh, By the way, September issue of Ring Magazine is out, and it is dedicated to the great Oscar de la Hoya. Look, Oscar gets a lot of flack from people. He can say some crazy things. He's had some crazy antics and stuff outside the ring. But one thing is undeniable. Dude was a great, great fighter. And people forget, you know, his biggest, most high-profile bouts were probably 147, 154. Man, Oscar started as a lightweight, and he was an absolute beast. You know, Olympic gold medal came out uh, just, just with a, I guess like a, I don't know what how to describe it, like a storm when he went pro. It, it just, you know, had it's so much popularity. There are a lot of parallels between Oscar, and I'd say almost Sugar Ray Leonard-esque, where American fans knew who he was before even going pro, and he was seen kind of in the same light and very, very popular fighter, obviously. But Oscar took risks, man. He got in there and fought everybody. Won some, lost some, but won most. Anyway, this new issue is completely dedicated to him. So make sure you guys check that out. Okay. Okay. Now, um, let's get to some news and notes. I got a couple things. We're gonna have a little fun, we're gonna troll a little bit and have a little fun, Uh, I I just got to troll the WBC today. I usually go at the WBA today. We're going to have some fun with the WBC, and then we'll get into uh, review preview, okay? But before I do that, a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, There will be no Friday wrap-up this Friday on my channel, Montero Unboxing. We had one last Friday. It was a lot of fun, uh, a lot of great calls on that show. So we're not going to have that, and we're not going to have TNC next Monday, August 1st. So uh, later this week, me and my wife are traveling. We're going to be up in New England from Thursday, this Thursday to next Tuesday. So we're going to be traveling. We're going to be on the road. I'm not going to be able to uh, to do my show. So no Friday wrap-up this Friday. No TNC next Monday, August 1st. We'll be back next Friday, Friday wrap-up, August 5th on my channel. Next TNC will be next next Monday, August 8th. 5 p.m. Eastern time, same time as always, right here. All right, guys, just wanted to get that out there. A little uh, house cleaning, public service announcement. and um, But let's get to the fun stuff. Okay. One of you guys brought this up on my Friday show. I, I'm sorry, I can't remember who brought it up, but one of you guys uh, that called in, um, I, I can't remember off the top of my head. who. I think a couple of you guys mentioned it. Anyway, Keith Thurman. Was recently moved to number one in the welterweight ratings by the WBC. They didn't bump him up months ago. You guys got to remember, he fought in February. That's when he fought Mario Barrios and got a close, you know, competitive points win against Mario Barrios, who was a guy moving up from 140, who had just been knocked out by a guy who went pro as a featherweight. Okay, so that put that tells you Barrios' level. And for Keith Thurman, he was coming back after, what, two and a half years out of the ring. His last fight previous was a loss to a semi-retired senator from the Philippines. You might have heard of him, Manny Pacquiao. So Keith Thurman has fought exactly twice in two years, but his very last fight was in February. And for some reason, last week, okay, we're in July, five months after his last fight, the WBC put Keith Thurman to number one in their welterweight ratings. So let me share my screen here. I got the WBC site pulled up. I tried to pull this up on my Friday show, but it wasn't pulling up for whatever reason. Now it is. So let's let's walk through this together, shall we? Let's go to ratings, mail, and we'll click on welter. So of course, the, the champion right now is Errol Spence. Okay, let's scroll down. Boom, there it is, guys. I ain't making this shit up. There is Keith Thurman at number one. So I tweeted about this. I posted it on my Instagram, right? And, and I should mention number two is Virgil Ortiz. Number three, Jerron Boots Ennis. And then it goes on from there. So they got a couple of the new young guns. Uh, Connor Ben's number five. That's kind of interesting. They got a couple of the young guys in there. But for the most part, <clears throat> the thing that stands out to me and to just about everybody else would be Keith Thurman at number one. And I believe before this, Earlier in the summer, they had him rated at number four. him being rated in the top ten is ridiculous, but even in the top five, insane, bumping him to number one with no action in five months, doesn't have a fight announced. it just makes absolutely no sense and I had to bring this up uh, I, I I tweeted about this uh, Thurman again, I, I just mentioned he' fought twice in three years, right he's fought five times in six years so over the last six years keith thurman has fought five times the last i would say high level win for him if you want to make call the danny garcia fight a high level win guys that's going back five years you got to go back six years for his win over sean porter so you know I, i personally feel that danny garcia sean porter even keith thurman a lot of these welterweights of this previous generation a little overrated but um these were good fighters. I mean, Danny Garcia is a good fighter. Sean Porter's is a good fighter. So, the, to, to find a high level win against a highly rated welterweight for Keith Thurman, you have to go back five, six years. And once again, I need to mention he has fought five times in six years, two times in three years. Last fight was in February, but in the middle of July, the WBC puts him at number one. This has, this must, have It has to be related to the Errol Spence Jr., Terrence Crawford negotiations. I don't know quite 100% what it means because I, I don't understand why – because everyone's saying, oh, this means it's going to be Errol Spence versus Keith Thurman or maybe Terrence Crawford versus Keith Thurman. But it's going to be Spence and Crawford versus d- different opponents, right? And then the two winners will fight each other next year when budgets open up and everything else over at Fox and everything – um, so I, I get that, but why bump Thurman to number one? What's the meaning? What's the point? Is Errol Spence gonna be stripped, or is this somehow a, a way to justify it? Because now he has a quote unquote mandatory. I just don't understand how if you were going to do this, if PBC's plan was to do another fight between what Spence and, and Thurman, I, I or I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah. Spence did Spence fight Thurman? I can't even keep up with these guys anymore, man. I don't think they did, but let me double check real quick. I honestly don't remember them fighting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't fight yet. Okay. I was, you know what? I was just thinking. I was thinking of Garcia and Thurman. So Thurman and Spence haven't fought yet. So if this is some kind of backup contingency plan by PBC, if they can't work out the fight with Crawford and this is how they justify it man why wouldn't you do this back in February when Thurman fought now he still doesn't rate number one beating Mario is coming off a knockout loss to a featherweight in his first fight at 147 and for Thurman that was his first fight in two and a half years I mean that still there's zero justification but the timing of this is so weird to me because again if you're going to do it you do it back in February or maybe in March. I mean, just coming right off that win for Thurman, right? And I want to double check. Was that a unanimous decision? Yeah, it was. Okay, so it was pretty wide. I, I totally forgot, guys, because I didn't even watch that fight, to be honest. But it was, I'm looking at the scores. Uh, Keith Thurman, Mario Barrios, 118, 110 twice, 117, 111. So that was a fairly one-sided fight. Okay, so it was a wide points win for Thurman. Is that rate number one? And then again, I have to bring up the timing. It just looks very bizarre. Nobody in the media, and I mean nobody, is talking about this, especially the top five guys, right, the, 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 the five names that you all know um, that are like – it's not even five names, honestly. It's like three that are, you know, the, the first go-to breaking news guys on social media and all that, um, that write for a couple different platforms, whether it be ESPN or at The Athletic or whatever it is. You guys know those names, right? None of them have mentioned this that I've seen. Correct me if I'm wrong. None of the mainstream dudes have mentioned this. None of my colleagues at Ring have mentioned it. Uh, No one's bringing it up, but this is flat out corruption. This is corruption. Like, what else can you call this? This is pay to play. There's no other explanation for what's going on here. If I'm missing something, Please, one of you guys out there, please correct me. Set me straight. School me. But what I'm seeing here makes no sense. Literally zero sense. Unless it's a pay-to-play scheme to set up a contingency plan for PBC, Errol Spence, Terrence Crawford, etc., cetera, et cetera, Now, let's continue with this because the fun continues with the WBC this week. And I've been telling you guys forever, th- there is a – concerning relationship between the WBC leadership and the PBC leadership. And this goes back to, to not to Mauricio's father, uh, who had a close relationship with Don King, but then it was uh, Al Heyman and all these folks, right? So I, I could bring up this whole history, but th- this is just kind of crazy. Let's go to their heavyweight ratings. Tyson Fury is the champ, right? And he, he uh, last defended in April. So technically speaking, he can be the champ for a whole year without fighting before they're even going to talk about stripping him. We don't know what he's going to do. Fury's waiting to see who wins the Usyk-Joshua rematch. If it's Joshua, Fury's going to fight Joshua. If it's Usyk, Fury's going to retire, quote-unquote. I'm using air quotes when I say retire. But if we go to the WBC ratings... Who's the highest rated fighter right now in the WBC? It is none other than Deontay Wilder. I get accused of being a Deontay Wilder hater. I really just try to keep it real about the guy. I do think he's fairly overrated by the American media. um, But damn entertaining heavyweight, tons of heart, extrude crazy power with the right hand, all that. But his resume, uh, c- come on, right? Anyway, regardless of how you feel about his resume, his title run, all that stuff, what is undeniable is that he's lost his last two fights. And those last two fights were spanning, what, two years? Let, let me double check here. I'm going to pull up Deontay's, because I, I don't want to screw up these dates. So I'm going to pull up his resume real quick, guys. Just bear with me for a second. But the last Tyson Fury fight was 2021. The one before that, the rematch, was 2020, okay? So he has fought exactly uh, twice in now two and a half plus years, okay? So he's fought twice in almost three years. It remains to be seen if he'll fight at all this year. So it might end up being twice in three years. Anyway, both of those were dominant knockout losses. He was dropped twice in the second fight with Fury. He was dropped twice three times in the third fight with Fury. And he was brutally stopped in the third fight. He was on his way to being brutally stopped in the second fight, but his former trainer did him a solid Mark Breland by stopping the fight before Deontay Wilder got seriously hurt. There may have never been a third fight. If it weren't for Mark Breland, Wilder may have sustained injuries that ended his career in that rematch. What does Wilder do? He just fires Mark Breland and throws him under the bus. But anyway, that's beside the point. Anyway, Last two fights, he's dropped five times, absolutely dominated. He won two rounds, and those were in the third fight. Tyson Fury out of shape, coming off of COVID. He had more muffin sludge in that third fight. Yes. Still, how do you rate Deontay Wilder number one right now? If you're the WBC at heavyweight, when the guy hasn't fought at all this year, has nothing scheduled this year, It is coming off two dominant losses, beat down, career changing, maybe life altering losses. We don't know how this may affect his health decades from now because Deontay Wilder's or I'm sorry, uh, Tyson Fury is not a power puncher. He's a guy with heavy hands because he's 270, 280 pounds. And Wilder took a lot of punishment in that third fight, a lot, way too much. Right. So how do you, how do you justify this? What's, what's the go-to here? Didn't Joe Joyce recently fight an eliminator? That might've been a VA eliminator. I don't know. But Luis Ortiz is rated number nine. And that's the last win that Wilder has. So, okay, he has a win over your number nine, currently number nine rated guy. But that's back in 2019. It's currently 2022. So that's almost three years ago that that fight happened. All right. Again, what's the play here? What's planned? obviously there's negotiations or something taking place. Don't be surprised if you see Wilder in the ring at the end of the year and it's some sort of eliminator fight or maybe, maybe even early next year. I don't know some sort of eliminator fight or something like that. And should Usyk beat Joshua fury is not going to fight Usyk. He's going to flat out duck the guy. We already know that he's made it pretty clear publicly and that's, Belt's going to become vacant. There's going to be either a vacant WBC belt or an opening for an interim WBC belt. Don't be surprised if you see Wilder fighting for that belt. Crazy, I know, but it's true. And should Andy Ruiz beat Luis Ortiz in their fight coming up, don't be surprised. Do not shoot the messenger if you see Wilder versus Ruiz for. Either the vacant or the interim WBC belt at the end of this year, beginning of next year. I'm telling you guys, it's something like that. Again, I might, you know, I don't have a crystal ball here, but you really don't need a crystal ball to see what's going on. And to be fair, to be fair, there's plenty of shady history I could bring up with Bob Aram and the IBF there's all kinds of crazy stuff that happened back in the day before Bob basically bought the WBO and started doing business with them. The WBA, you know, you guys probably saw the headlines last week, how they're saying they're going to clean up their act for the 14 billionth time because they got a little bit of media attention. Um, Normally I avoid, and I just ignore this kind of stuff because I've been in boxing. I've been involved in boxing for a while now. And you just see so much of this stuff that it's it's almost like, oh, I'm just wasting my time even talking about it. But with this, you see the chips lining up for the next move, okay? And when I'm critical of the fights that come down the pike, well, we, if we end up seeing Spence versus Stanionis uh, or Spence versus, um, maybe it's Spence versus Thurman and then it's Crawford versus Stanionis. I don't know. I'm just throwing stuff out there, Okay. Or you end up seeing Wilder versus Andy Ruiz for a title belt or something. And and I bring up criticism. And I say, well, once again, you know, we're not getting complete unification at heavyweight. And it's been one platform blocking it since 2014 when they blocked Klitschko from getting it. Here we go again. I'm gonna be called a hater, I'm gonna be called this, I'm gonna be called that, and I'm gonna say, well. Go back to episode 323 of the neutral corner podcast last year, where I talked about this shit, you know, that's where I'm going to, that's what I'm going to say because you just see the writing on the wall here. I'm just putting it out there. Okay. (laughs) I've had enough of this crap. I'm sick of giving these guys um, all the credit here. And again, I I need to be clear on this because I just beat up on the WBC. I do like some of the things they do. I like the clean boxing program. I like the weight management program. Not perfect. Needs a lot more funding. Needs to be um, even more strict, but it's way more than any of the other groups are doing combined. So I give the WBC credit for a lot of things that they do. They work with a lot of retired fighters. Uh, They help fighters sometimes with medical bills. I've seen them do all kinds of really cool charitable stuff. No one else is doing that. So I give the BC a lot of credit. But this stuff, dude. I mean, come on. How, how do you justify this? You you just, you can't. It, it's really, it's indefensible. Okay, let's get to some super chats. Gideon P., thank you so much. He says, Keith rated number one, insert Tim the Toolman grunt. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, man. When I saw that, I was like, what? And I had no idea. It was one of you guys uh, that that called in, I, again, on my Friday show. And I was like, What? And I looked it up over the weekend, and then I saw I, I looked at the heavyweight ratings. And I'm like, Wilder's number one. What? So, if you guys follow me on Twitter and stuff, you see me tweeting about it over the weekend, but I had to talk about it on today's show, man. It's just crazy. What's crazy, guys, before I get to this next super chat, is I tweeted about it, and most people are like, What? You know, th- they're responding just like us, but there was a handful of people like, What's the big deal? Keith Thurman's got experience, he should be rated number one. And I'm, I'm thinking, Oh, my God! You are the people that enable all the fuckery and boxing. You people that defend this shit. Oh my God, Aaron with the super chat. Thank you so much, Aaron. I appreciate it, man. He says people hate on boo-boo Andre because they jealous, he' too damn tall and handsome. I love it. Some Demetrius Andrade hate look um, I you guys probably saw the videos. On social where Demetrius Andrade was begging Chris Eubank Jr. for a fight. It was really bizarre, really, really random to post that while you have a mandatory, you know, it was just mandated that he's got to fight um Janebec Alam Al- Kanala. Al- just weird. And it, it just the the wheels have completely fallen off over there on Team Andre. Let's see what happens. Toreen Falk with the super chat. Thank you so much, Toreen. He says, Keith, number one after a loss. Deontay, number one after two consecutive losses. We be crooks moving above and beyond their criminal element. I hear you, brother. WBC, we be crooks. I do have to say, Keith, technically coming off a win because he beat Mario Barrios, but I hear what you're saying, coming off a loss against the last top highly rated fighter that he faced. Um, there's just, there is zero, literally zero justification for having either of those fighters ranked in my opinion, in the top five right now, um, for Wilder, it's not just the two losses. It's that we don't know if he's ever going to fight again, right? Nothing's announced. So to me, I, am not saying completely drop him, but there's at least four or five other heavyweights that have fought since then that you could probably rate above him. And what I hate about the sanctioning bodies is because Alexander Usyk has all the other belts. The WBC doesn't rate him at heavyweight. Let me double check that. But yeah, you know what? Let me share my screen again. Cause I want to show this to you guys. This, this is what I hate about the sanctioning groups. Uh, one, just one of the things, but their ratings, right? So, You look here at the the ratings for the WBC. This is their heavyweight top 10. You don't see Alexander Usyk in the ratings. He should be. He is no less than the second best heavyweight in the world. You don't see Anthony Joshua in these ratings. He should be. He is no less than the third best heavyweight in the world right now. Neither of those guys are here. Why? Because Usyk has the other belts and Joshua is about to fight for the other belts. And they're with a rival promoter because the WBC is almost exclusively working with PBC. Not only, but if you look at their ratings, a lot of the guys that they rate are PBC guys. Um, and it, again, it's a WBO. Same way with Bob Arum, top rank. You know, to be fair, but I just wish, and I could go up and down every division and, and show you examples of this. I hate that, and that's why you know I just don't look at these ratings. I know a lot of you guys call in and want to talk about sanctioning body ratings i normally avoid it because to me so so like espn's ratings are bought and paid for because they're they have an exclusive deal with top rank and like their news division the people that they're hiring and working with now are not boxing people it's more of a political agenda they're pushing politics and stuff over there right so i don't even pay attention to espn for news at all not just boxing but any sport So their ratings, I completely ignore it. Sometimes I just troll it on Twitter for fun. But that's pretty much how I look at all ratings. And if you look at Ring Magazine, we rate everybody. Regardless of who you fight with, regardless of what belt you have, everybody's rated. And yes, we're owned by Golden Boy Promotions. Nobody at Golden Boy Promotions works at Ring. They don't influence our ratings. It's a completely separate entity. In fact, it's two different channels of payment and everything else. Like Golden Boy Promotions has their thing. Ring Magazine has their thing. So there's zero influence, okay? And believe me, I've been involved in situations related to the ratings where I've seen things get really nasty and heated. And, you know, in other platforms where pressure is applied uh, by people who want things changed, people give in. That doesn't happen with us. So I really, truly believe Ring Magazine has the best ratings out there. I truly, truly believe that. And I believe that before I got involved with the Ring. But the, the biggest issue with these sanctioning organization ratings, they don't rate other champions. That's a problem. That's a real problem. Anyway. All right, let's see. Do we have any more? Yes, we do. Punch drug boxing. What's up, man? Thank you so much for the super chat. He says, God bless, brother. Thurman versus Barrios was an eliminator. I also believe that using Thurman to speed up Bud versus Spence negotiations, take it or leave it. Okay, two things. First, if Thurman versus Barrios was an eliminator, then why was Thurman rated number four before? Why did they bump him right now? I don't get that. So if it's an eliminator, that's fine. That's terrible. That makes absolutely no sense because Barrios was coming off a knockout loss. Thurman was coming off a loss, hadn't fought in two and a half years. Barrios had never fought at 147, was coming up from 140. So if that was truly an eliminator, and I don't know, I honestly don't know. I pretty much didn't really pay attention to that fight. But if it was, completely indefensible that that was an eliminator. Just disgusting. Disgusting. Right when you've got young talent like Virgil Ortiz, Jaron Ennis, other guys there who are, are deserving, I think, of a mandatory shot at least a shot at an eliminator that's what you sanction as an elimination fight. Just disgusting. Second, your second point if they're using Thurman right now, they're bumping him up to number one to light a fire under Errol Spence's ass, and maybe to light a fire under, under uh Thurman or I'm sorry, Crawford's ass because they can say, Hey man. We can do this fight between Spence and Thurman. So you need to shorten your your purse demands, or we're going to just go forward with this fight. I get it. I get it. If it leads to a fight between Crawford and Spence this year, okay, I'm good with it. It's just, why do we need to do all that fuckery and all that corruption and all that bullshit as part of negotiations for a fight? I thought the only hindrance for years, dude, for years, a large portion of the United States mainstream boxing press, okay? You guys, again, you know the names, you know the websites. They and an entire block of YouTubers and an entire platform, Fox, Showtime, and the PBC were telling us the only thing getting in the way of a fight between Errol Spence And Terrence Crawford was Bob Arum because he's this evil old man, right? He's the devil. That hasn't been an issue all year because Terrence Crawford left Bob Arum. Not only that, he slapped a lawsuit against him, right? So if that was the only thing holding it up, why do we got to bribe the WBC five months after Keith Thurman's last fight off a 140 guy who got knocked out by a 126 guy coming off a knockout loss, coming off a two and a half year layoff? To bump him up to number one in the middle of July. Why do we got to go to all that length just to motivate Crawford to sign the contract? Because I thought the only problem was Bob Arrow. I'm just saying, dude. I'm just saying. A lot of mental gymnastics, a lot of double standards. Okay. Well, we got another one here. Another one from Sam. Thank you so much, Sam. He says if Arrow versus Bud don't happen, And they both duck Ennis. I'm okay with Thurman versus either guy, no matter where he is ranked. So you're okay with Thurman fighting Errol Spence or Terrence Crawford on pay-per-view, Sam? You're okay with that? I understand that you're saying that's not a terrible fight. Listen, I would rather see Thurman fight Ennis or Ortiz. That's what I'd rather see on regular Fox. That's what we should be seeing is a fight like that. I'm kind of over Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford. I'm kind of at a point where I don't give a flying fuck. Both of them can go to hell at this point because they don't want to do the fight that everybody wants. Now, again, I will take all that back if they get it done and it happens in October, November, whatever. I'll take all that back. But I'm so over the bullshit, the lies and the manipulation, all of it, from both sides. I'm just over it. I don't know if I'd say I'm... Good with Thurman fighting either guy, especially when it's going to be on pay-per-view. I don't know about that, brother. Okay. Let's uh, let's move on to the next subject, shall we? Let's go to this fight review. All right. Last Saturday, July 23rd, top rank had a card at the Grand Casino in Hinkley, Minnesota, the boxing capital of the world and this was broadcast on ESPN Plus in the main event minor upset because I really thought it was going to go the other way. Giovanni Cabrera improved to 21-0 with a unanimous decision win over Gabriel Flores Jr. This was a lightweight fight of course. Uh, all three scores 98 to 89. Two knockdowns in the first round. So within the first minute of the first round, pretty much the first big punch that Cabrera landed Down goes Flores, down he goes again. Now to his credit, he got up and he fought back and he really did try to win, but it was so clear that he was just a step behind. Uh, He was in his head and he couldn't get anything done uh, of substance, man. According to CompuBox, Cabrera landed 189 total punches landing 31% of them. Flores landed 57 punches in 10 rounds. Guys, that's less than six landed punches per round. These are lightweights. These are heavyweights. Where those punch stats, you don't love it, but it's kind of justifiable sometimes in a heavyweight fight because that's heavyweight boxing. But these are lightweights, dude. He landed less than six punches per round in a lightweight fight. He landed 17% of his punches. I'm not talking about 17% of the jab, 17% of all his punches. Cabrera landed 45% of his power punches, nearly half, okay? So that's just to demonstrate how one-sided this was. So my question, look, no disrespect to Giovanni Cabrera. No disrespect. Uh, he's from Chicago, but he moved out to L.A. to, to get in the better gyms. Uh, there's a much, much better scene there where you're going to get better work. And um, he's working it with Freddie Roach and wildcard gym. He's improved as a fighter. Still still improving. But he was brought in as the opponent. Top rank specifically brought in a guy who is undefeated, and a nice, shiny, sparkling record, doesn't hit very hard, not going to hurt Flores. And what's the first thing this guy does hurts him and drops him twice. Now, once again, Flores could have bowed out right there. A lot of people would have, a lot of people would have phoned it in and found a way to just get out of that fight. He went the whole distance. So props to him. Okay. The kid does have some heart. I think some people are being too hard on him, but I remember we had, we had Gabriel Flores jr. On the show, like 2 years ago maybe maybe it was 2 years ago and he was being touted as a as a potential superstar he had jay prince uh, top rank he had great management around him all the right people it is completely blown up and i tweeted about it this week and i asked you know what can this this team do because he's working with his father his father in that corner boy he had no answers it felt like he just didn't know what to do or say and obviously, obviously, Flores needs a new trainer because his dad did tell him to do a couple technical things, and Flores Jr. didn't do them. So so not only is Flores Sr. just, I think, out of his depth at this level, as a trainer, but he's not getting through to his son. It's just the connection isn't there anymore. It's not working. So if Flores Jr. wants to continue to box, he needs a new trainer. We know that. But can they fix this? Can they fix this guys because I think this was what his 21st, maybe 22nd pro fight. Again, I want to get these numbers right. So I'm going to look up his his record real quick. That was his 23rd fight. In 23 pro fights, Gabriel Flores Jr. has seven stoppages. That is a 30% knockout percentage. He is a 5 foot 9 lightweight. He started as a junior lightweight, had a couple of fights around there. But if you look at the level of opposition, he has faced guys, you pulled up on box rec. It's mostly one star and a handful of zero star opponents. Now there are five stars on box rec. Okay. And it's a computer algorithm. It's not a perfect science, but generally speaking, when you pull up a guy's resume and there's a bunch of fights that have one star or some that have zero stars. Okay. That's the you know what level of opposition he's facing. For this guy to have seven knockouts in almost 20 of his 23 fights are against opponents of that level, at least 15 of them, okay, were against guys who are one star or no star on box rec. That tells you something. Because if you're a high level prospect, even if you're not a power puncher and that's not your style, you should be stopping opponents at that level. Wasn't happening. And now he's lost two of three. And it's not as if he just got clipped with one hard shot and knocked out. We've seen that with prospects that were still able to go on and have a high level career, you know, high, very accomplished career. But this guy lost two 10 round fights where he was basically shut out. He was pretty much shut out last year in uh, in Tucson against Luis Alberto Lopez. He was pretty much shut out against Giovanni Cabrera, who's not a hard puncher, and, you know, got dropped. And he, he got wobbled several times after being dropped, right? So being outboxed 20 rounds to zero against the level of opposition, and then there was a fight in between that earlier this year in Fresno, California against Abraham Montoya. That was pretty much an even fight. That was another 10-rounder that was like five rounds each. He got the majority decision in that fight. But one judge, Steve Weisfeld, who's a good judge, had to draw. So check this out. If you go back to over the last year, Flores has had three fights. Each of them are 10 rounds. He's won about five of those 30 rounds, and he's not fighting top-level opposition. So that, to me, is what's concerning about this. It's not that he lost. Again, you get caught with a hard punch. You get knocked out. You can rebound from that. But, dude, winning five rounds out of your last 30 against this level of opposition, that's worrisome, dude. That's worrisome, especially when you consider how highly touted this kid was. As for top rank, they signed more young talent coming out of the amateurs and the Olympics, more American, young American talent than any other promoter. And they developed that talent better than nobody else. So, if top rank's not able to develop this kid, top rank usually hits a home run when, when they pick these, when they grab these blue chip prospects and develop them. But every now and then, man, it's a swing and a miss. We've seen several of these swing and a miss in recent years. And sometimes it's, it's you know, even with a really, really proven great fighter like Guillermo Rigandiao, top rank did not do very well with him, right? And he was a really, really great fighter. But some of these prospects that they bring up, man, it just doesn't work out. And I got to say, can Flores rebound from this? Perhaps. Um, But this is going to be hard, dude. This is going to be a really hard project because this is not a young Vladimir Klitschko being stopped by Ross Purity and Corey Sanders. Um, You know, and by that time, Vlad had already like held a belt at one point and stuff. um, And then coming back or, A young Lennox Lewis being stopped a couple times, or even a young Amir Khan being stopped, and he was able to come back despite his chin issues and have a really, really solid career. This is being completely outboxed. Right? So if you're being completely outboxed, as soon as you step up in class, you're gonna start getting knocked the fuck out. That's what happens next. So I don't know, dude. I don't know. Now look in the main event. Split decision win, Isaac Dogbay over Joette Gonzalez in a featherweight fight. This was also 10 rounds. Uh, two judges had it 96-94 for Dogbe. One judge had it 96-94 for Gonzalez. It felt like Dogbe won the first half of the fight. You know, Gonzalez won the second half of the fight. That's just kind of how it felt in terms of the output from either from both fighters and the rhythm of the fight. Uh, Dogbe is now 4-0 since his two consecutive losses to Navarrete. Uh, all four of these fights have been at 126. Three of them, really close decisions. So am I ready to put Isaac Dogbay in the top 10 at featherweight or you know, the elite level at featherweight and say he's ready for the, the top guys, the killers? No, I'm not. Um, so he's got four wins off that loss. But again, after those two losses, but he's moved up in weight. He is undersized at featherweight. And three of these four wins were really close fights where you got the feeling it could have went either way. Punch stats reveal just how close this fight was. Dog Bay 190 out of 783. That's total punches. 39%. Gonzalez 197 out of 549. He landed 36%. So um, Dog Bay was uh, more active. He threw more. But um, Gonzalez didn't. He wasn't quite as active. According to CompuBox, he threw like 200 less punches. Maybe that was the difference. Gonzalez also landed um, almost twice the body shots. He landed 69 body shots, Dog Bay only 39 jabs. Uh, Dog Bay landed 26 out of 352, only 7%. Gonzalez landed 35 out of 152, 23%. So Dog Bay threw a lot of just flicking jabs, but less than 10% of them landed. So that's good activity, and it slowed down Gonzalez's attack at times. It kept him at bay, so it, it, there was some effectiveness to it. But I mean, you look at the punch numbers; like this this fight really could have went either way. Flip a coin, half of you guys will probably think Dog Bay deserved it, half will think Gonzalez deserved it. Um, but close fight, close fight. Okay, so um, a couple of upsets, man. Because I really thought Gonzalez was going to win that fight. Doesn't like blow my mind that he lost, but. Um, I did think Gonzalez was going to win, and then I thought Flores was going to win too. I thought that fight was going to distance, but I thought he was going to win. So a couple of minor upsets on that card, which is good. You know, That kind of fight card, you kind of want to see those type of things. That lets you know that you're getting solid matchmaking. Super chat from Sam. Thank you so much, brother. He says, I had Joette by KO, but live bet after seven rounds had Dog Bay plus 1,000. I hit 100 to win a thousand. Joette can't punch. Damn, not bad, Sam. Not bad, not bad at all. That's a nice little payday, brother. Beers on you. <laughs> all right, let's um, let's get to the preview real quick. And um, for those of you just getting on the show, I talked about this before that um, there will be no TNC next Monday, August 1st. I'll be out of town, traveling with my wife. I'll be up in New England, and um, so. I'm going to do two weeks' worth of previews right here. All right? Real quick, we'll we'll blast through this, then we'll get to some calls. Uh, This Saturday, July 30th, it is the return of Danny Swift Garcia going up against Jose Benavidez Jr. 12 rounds, junior middleweights, 154. It's going to be very interesting seeing Danny Garcia at 154 because he was a small welterweight. He's going to be a really small junior middleweight. This is at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York. TGB Promotions, Showtime for Danny Garcia. This will be his first fight since losing to Errol Spence back in 2020. So this is another guy who hasn't fought in like like two years, and uh, he's never defeated an elite level welterweight. He moved up in 2014 after being the man at 140, legitimate champion at 140 when he beat Matisse. He fought, Danny Garcia did, on that Mayweather-Canelo pay-per-view. The co-main was Matisse versus Garcia, and that was for Undisputed at 140. And Garcia won that fight pretty handedly. I want to say I remember him dropping Matisse. Don't quote me on that, but I think he did. And um, he really was the guy there. But I think he only had, like, one defense against Mauricio Herrera. Most people thought he lost that fight, and then he moved right up. So he didn't really set. A precedent at 140, or or you know, a legacy there. He unified the belts and then immediately pretty much moved up. And again, you could argue he lost that fight to Herrera. Many people felt that way, but since he moved up in 2014, he's got a couple of solid wins. You know, he's got wins over guys like um, Lamont Peterson, Paulie Malignaggi, a couple of decent wins, but no elite level wins. You know, he stepped up a couple of times to the absolute top class, the top five of the division, and he was defeated. And when he fought Thurman, a lot of people thought, oh, that's a close fight. When he fought Porter, oh, it's a close fight. I think Garcia might have won. Shut up. He didn't win those fights. Were they close? Were they competitive? Sure. But Garcia lost those fights, man. No shame in that, by the way. Nothing wrong with it. But when they talk about Danny Garcia as a Hall of Famer, and I think you guys saw the interview a week or so ago where he said, yeah, I'm a Hall of Famer. Right now, if I retire, I'm in the Hall of Fame. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Now, if somehow he has this resurgence, and he goes on to win a legitimate world title at 154, perhaps we're having a different discussion. But right now there's an undisputed champ at 154. So unless he goes up and fights Jermel Charlo, if he should he beat Benavidez? And I think he will, probably by stoppage. Should he fight next year, fight Jermel Charlo? Remember, Charlo is going to fight Tim Zoo, right? So so if Danny Garcia fights, let's say he fights the winner of that fight and beats them and becomes the undisputed junior middleweight champion of the world, okay then. Now we're talking Hall of Fame because now we're talking undisputed in two different weight classes and one weight class where he's severely undersized. Okay, you, you got my vote then. But right now, nah. All right, also on this card, Adam Kovnaki, Kovnachi against Ali Aran Demarizan. Uh, Turkish-born fighter, based out of Germany now, 32 years old. You guys might remember his name because he was the first guy to take Efi Ajagba the distance. At that time, that was kind of a shocking thing for some people, but now we see it wasn't that that big of a deal. Anyway, um, Demarezin has lost some fights, but he's always gone the distance. So this is actually a pretty good heavyweight matchup. I like this. For Kovnatchi, this is his first bout since back-to-back TKO losses to Robert Hellenius in 2020-2021. So none of these guys I'm mentioning have been extremely active. But um, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in this fight. I think it's a, a solid heavyweight matchup. Also on this card, Gary Antoine Russell, 15 and 0 with 15 knockouts going up against Rancis Bartholomew, 10 rounds, 140 pounds. This is really good matchmaking by PBC. Really, really good matchmaking. That's normally not their strong suit, but uh, Bartholomew started his career at 130. He has a career knockout percentage of 46%. He is undersized and not a strong puncher at 140, but he's a tough guy a lot of experience who will go rounds, likely go the distance, maybe deep into this fight, loses by TKO or something. Perfect matchmaking by PBC here for Gary Antoine Russell, get him in there against a the guy who really can't punch, but is very experienced that will give him a solid push. Also on this card, Julian J rock Williams uh, coming back from uh, losses in his last two fights. He had a loss in 2020 a loss in 2021 hasn't fought since, and this kind of feels like a feel good get back into win column type of fight because he's scheduled to fight to be announced TBA Tom Bob Anderson. So, um, they're gonna throw a guy in there, they're gonna find some guy in the street, throw him in there. This feels like a doing them a solid for everything he's done for them, get him a win so he can retire kind of a fight. That's the way this feels. Maybe I'll be proven wrong. We shall see. Next Saturday, August 6th, we got a few different fights to look at. In Belfast, Northern Ireland, uh, ESPN Plus picked this up. Michael Conlon making his ring return since his knockout loss to Lee Wood in the 12th round of their fight back in March, going up against rugged veteran Miguel Mariaga, who has lost two of his last three 10-round featherweight fight. The only man to stop Mariaga was Vasily Lomachenko back in 2017 when Mariaga retired on a stool, said, I, I can't, I want no more of this guy. Mariaga's been in with a lot of fighters. He's lost several fights. Very experienced guy, has a high knockout ratio, right? Uh, his style works well for Conlon, but this dude can punch. And uh, he'll be a very tough out for Michael Conlon. This is a pretty fun matchup. If you could check that card out, you might want to check out that that fight anyway. Also, uh, Golden Boy Promotions, returning to Texas, Dickies Arena in Fort Worth, Texas. This, of course, will be broadcast on The Zone. Virgil Ortiz, after a year out of the ring, had some issues making weight for his last fight, Um, got sick from it. Hopefully they've worked that out because there was briefly talk of him going to 154. He's going to stay at 147 for now. 18-0, one of the more exciting, more promising young fighters in the sport. Going up against Michael McKinson, who has a nice, shiny, sparkling record of twenty-two and zero, but there's only two knockouts. So this is um, this will look real good. Bringing over a British guy with an undefeated record for Ortiz, but you got to favor Ortiz big in this fight. McKinson can box. UK fighter, southpaw. He definitely can box. He just can't punch. And I don't know how the hell he's going to keep Ortiz off of him for twelve rounds. Uh, And then at 147, Ortiz is just going to be so much bigger and stronger and more explosive. Um, But anytime Ortiz is fighting, I want to see it. And it should be a good crowd for him there in Fort Worth, Texas. And then at Madison Square Garden in New York, New York, Showtime pay-per-view. It is Jake Paul versus Hasim Rahman Jr. 10 rounds, cruiserweights. So when this fight first got announced, remember he was supposed to fight Tyson Fury's cousin – Tommy Fury, he wanted none of this fight. He found a way out of it, which says a lot about him. Hasim Rahman jumps at the chance, right? He's going to get a good payday here. But he's a big guy, and they're going to get him down to cruiserweight. I want to look up Hasim Rahman's resume real quick, because I want to give you guys some of the weights that he's come in at for recent fights. Uh, Because he fought in the amateurs under 200 but his entire career i mean his pro debut is at 234 next fight 233 first several fights 230s 220s he's been as light as 211 as a pro that was back in 2018 he has been as heavy as 269 as a pro that was last year dude i don't know if i believe that number 269 he according to his resume he went from 231 In February 2022, 269 in February 2021. Now, there was COVID in between all of that, global pandemic, lockdowns. Maybe that had something to do with it. He worked his way back down to 224 uh, last June, and then 215 last August. Was 224 for his last fight this April against James Morrison. and was knocked out in the fifth round. He was winning that fight four rounds to zero. Before that fifth round, and then just got caught with a hard shot. Some people didn't like the stoppage. Anyway, the fact that this fight is at cruiserweight, okay, I'm looking here. Rockman Jr. went pro five years ago in 2017. So he hasn't weighed, uh, he hasn't weighed under 200 pounds in more than five years. Um, also, his knockout percentage is 46%. He has six stoppages in 13 pro fights. When you look at the level of opposition he has faced, it's mostly zero-star opponents, a few one-star opponents. And against that level of opposition is a big heavyweight. He has six knockouts in 13 fights. So he's not a very hard-punching fighter uh, as, as, a, as a professional heavyweight boxer. Let's see if I can see any of his amateur fights on here, who he fought. Yeah, they don't have a whole lot of details, Uh, but mixed results is an amateur, at least the the fights that are um, listed. So all things considered, guys, I know on paper, a lot of people think that Jake Paul is going to get absolutely crushed in this fight. I'm telling you right now, apparently there's a rehydration clause where Rachman can't gain that much weight after he weighs in at cruiserweight. He can't rehydrate that much. If Jake Paul can survive the first four or five rounds of this fight, he can win this fight. I'm telling you, he could win it. Um, That'll be interesting to see for sure. Also, on this card, Amanda Serrano defending her unified featherweight belts against Brenda Carbajal out of Argentina. This is a complete showcase fight for Amanda Serrano. This woman has no business being in a ring with her. She's going to win and win big, probably by stoppage. I have to admit, this is a little disappointing for me. I understand that Serrano has two featherweight belts. She last defended them, I think, a year ago. So she has to defend them to keep them. I get it. If that's what you're doing here and that's the move, I get it. If, you're, if this is stay busy, make a little money, get back in the win column, I get it. So long as we get the rematch with Katie Taylor next. If she handles business against Carvajal, which I fully expect, and then we get a rematch between Taylor and Serrano, let's say, in November, December, This is all good. In fact, it's a smart play. So, my personal belief is that Serrano did everything she could do in that fight with Taylor, and it just quite wasn't enough. And the only reason Taylor really got caught and why the fight was so close on the cards is because Taylor got stupid and got lazy and, and brawled a little bit with a bigger, stronger fighter, and got caught and got really badly hurt. It was out of it for a few rounds. I expect Taylor to fight better in the rematch. I don't really think Serrano can do anything more than she already did. I think deep down inside, her team knows this, and that's why they're going this route. That's what it says to me. Maybe I'm wrong. Wouldn't be the first time. Also on this card, Brandon Lee, undefeated 140-pound prospect. He's also been on the show. Going up against Will Madera, who lost the first time he stepped up. Uh, he fought Felix Bardejo in 2020 and was stopped in one round. So this is a complete showcase fight for Brandon Lee. And this question was brought up on my Friday show. When is Brandon Lee going to step up? It is time. This guy had hundreds of amateur fights. He's had over 20 pro fights. Now his opponents are zero star one star level opponents. Time to bump up that opposition guys. He's ready for it. Okay. Let me, uh, see if I missed any super chats. I think we just missed one here. And it's from Sam. Thank you so much, Sam. He says, Mike, could you lose 25 pounds in three weeks and go to 175? Dude, at this age, absolutely not. When I was 18, I weighed 177 in the Marines. I could get down to 177 because I was a toothpick. And, you know, we were running and jogging and um, marching all day, dude. So, Uh, You didn't, you ate a lot, but you were constantly moving and stuff like that. You didn't eat that much, honestly. So since then I've put on a lot of muscle, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time in the gym. I've worked very hard to put on muscle and right now getting down to 200 would be a chore, you know, I could do it and I could, you know, it would just take some discipline for a few months, 175, nah, no way in hell. 200 would be it brother. Uh, Derek Williamson asking, is there testing for the Paul Rockman fight? Not to my knowledge at all. Not to my knowledge. Michael Mendelea says we need to stop covering any and all fights associated with any of these YouTube dorks. I feel you, brother. I feel you. I got to say Jake Paul slowly winning me over, though. Um, him stepping up and fighting an actual boxer in what a six pro fight or something like that is pretty impressive to me, but him helping get the deal done between Taylor and Serrano. That was a big one for me. That was a big one for me. So he's winning me over slowly, but surely, but do I consider him a legitimate boxer? Let's see, man. If he goes in there and handles work against how Rahman jr. Okay. I, hey, Tommy Fury didn't want to fight him. So if Tommy Fury doesn't want to fight you, Maybe there's something to this. All right, let's jump to these phones real quick. It looks like we got Thad on the line. What's up, Thad? How you doing, brother?
1: Hey, Mike, great show as always. Thanks, Love man. the uh, the initial rant in the very beginning, which is kind of like the focal point of my call because a lot of the journalists in the sport, they don't want to cover you know, what's really going on behind the scenes in the WBC. And the reason, as a fan, I'm concerned is because it cheats the fans. Of fights that should be made. It cheats us of seeing Virgil Ortiz, Jaron Ennis, Danny Onis, beginning their shots at the titles that they've earned, uh, shots that they've earned at the Welterweight division, which you alluded to earlier has been a little bit watered down and overrated with the quality of fighters that, are, that have been overrated with the Danny Garcias of the world, Sean Porters, and so on and so forth, and the Keith Thurman. And we see Thurman ranked number one, and it's only because of collusion and corruption to do the bidding of Al Heyman, just like they've done the bidding of Don King. And if you remember from a movie, it was The Great White Hype, I think it was called, or something like that. It was yep. a funny movie. Damon Wayne but it was funny as hell. Sam L. Jackson, yeah, of course. It, it was it was a. it was a spoof off of Tyson McNeely.
0: Yep.
2: <clears throat>
1: and uh, it was brilliantly done. They had Steve Wynn, like Corbin Bernstein was playing Steve Wynn, and uh, uh, oh, Cheech Marin was playing Jose Suleiman. Okay. Yep. And then, of course, you had uh, Don King played by, um, well, it was a spoof off of it. They weren't original characters. They were like, you know, made up characters, but that's who they really were. Like Jose Suleiman was uh, Cheech Marin's character, and right. he was hilarious. Now, there was a scene in that movie where. Um, the, uh, what's his name? Samuel L. Jackson. He was called the Sultan, but really he was Don King, and he he wanted this uh, amateur that beat Tyson's character, uh, Damon Wayans, in the amateurs because they had no one else to fight, and they wanted to sell um, a white fighter, and they knew that would make money. So the Sultan wanted Cheech, uh, Cheech Marin's character to rank him in the top ten when he's never had a professional fight. And, and it was so hilariously done. He's like, you know, I can't do that. I'd be like a pariah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then like King pulled his, uh, his weight and said, well, you know who you work for. Right. And, he, and he, and he like embarrassed him in front of like Cormac Burns. To make a long story short, that's what the, we're seeing here with, with uh, Suleiman and Haman. Okay. He's controlled completely by Al Haman, and left to his own device this is what you're going to see the WBC do because nobody could call them out on it. They're based in Mexico. I don't think the FBI has reached to even look into them. I know what the IBF they used to with us, Bob Lee, they investigated them for bribery and that was a big thing. And um, the IBF didn't disband, but what we're seeing here is the same thing, except worse. We're seeing manipulation of the rankings and wilder, coming off of two straight losses, like you said, having a number one ranking, and it's all in the benefit of PBC. And uh, boxing is now left holding the bad because we're not getting the fights. We should be seeing a Wilder versus uh, a Joe Joyce fight or oh, Otto Valine, or somebody who deserves that, that shot. And uh, it's, it's pitiful. It, it just makes the sport a mockery. And this um, once a year fighting, it, it's taking away from the integrity of the game because we're seeing double standards here, where fighters like Jermell Charlo could fight once a year, and not have to have a mandatory against, you know, guys that have been waiting in line for two years. There's a guy I think Murtzaliev is that his name? He's been the number one contender for two straight years, and and Charlo fights once a year. Right. so how how is he supposed to hold on to these belts it, and and they're allowing that you know and if there wasn't such double standards then you know you can't complain but mike i mean the uh, the media they have to do their due diligence because just like in politics in america where the media is supposed to be the fourth branch of government to hold corruption accountable you know we're not seeing it right. all we're seeing is propaganda so that's why I'm so concerned of what's going on and nothing's being done to call it out. Because we're not gonna see Spence fight Ennis or Ortiz, and we're not gonna see Crawford fight um Ortiz, Ennis, Stanionis, and, and and Spence fight Stanionis. We're not gonna see the fights that should be made. And as a fan, we should be up and up in arms about it. There's there's really nothing funny about it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I mean, you're doing the right thing. There's a lot of guys um, like you, kind of like on the uh, the lower lower end of the spectrum that are calling it out. But I think we as fans have a, have a duty as well to say, you know, enough's enough. You know, if this keeps going on and on, you know, what integrity is the sport going to have left? I mean, the best we have to look forward to the next week or two is Rachman versus Jake Paul. <laughs> and and credit to, and credit to Jake Paul. He's he's taken the Mayweather blueprint. Yeah. And he's perfected it. Where he is now the the breadwinner in American boxing. It's crazy. He's probably the 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 most highest paid American fighter right now, currently. Cuz Canelo's technically
2: Mexican. Right. So so this is where we're
1: at. Like I I just You know, flabbergasted that the media hasn't really gotten on this because you could, you could get, you know, make a name for yourself in the the media by calling out corruption. And I I just, I just see the silence and it's like, everybody just wants their free press pass. Yeah. You know, they want the perks of the job, you know, they want to get flown out for free first class, you know, trip on the plane.
2: And, And what does it get there?
1: You know, your, your reputation as a journalist is, 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 nothing. Okay. So everybody out there in the media, who's listening do your damn job, step it up, you know, be more of a Mike Montero. Okay. And, uh, cause we, we deserve better $80 a month for pay-per-views, $20 a month for apps that want us to pay money for pay-per-views ESPN plus now raising their rates. We're, we're paying enough. We deserve better. So what's your response to that?
0: Well, I, I appreciate the kind of words that I really do, man. Um, and I'm uh, with you, you know, one of the reasons why I don't have um, a network job, if you will, or, or, you know, a higher profile is because I call shit out. It's right. <laughs> I could tell you, I mean, there's only so much I could say on the record now, but maybe one day, when I'm not really involved in the community Mm -hmm. anymore, I can really start talking about some of it out loud, but I've seen things and I've fallen on the sword for different people, uh, different organizations. Right. And there's just, um, it is kind of a pay to play thing and I don't check any boxes for people. And then I don't play the game. So I'm very fortunate to be associated with the ring. And I'll tell you why I am. It's because of the great Doug Fisher, Doug is a guy that recognizes right. talent and gives people a chance and, and calls it real as he can. And um, it's, it's cause guys like him, Steve Kim, and a handful of others that have, you know, looked after me and uh, appreciate what I do. But um, the, the problem dude is if, if I'm not willing to play the game, right. And I, I bow out of a job and I say, you know, it's not worth the money cause I make almost as much money doing it my way uh, you're just going to give me a little bit more and I have to be your pawn. Nah, I don't want to do that shit. There's a line of 50 fucking guys that will do it. It's it, you see these young kids coming right. in all the time. You're like, "Who the hell is this guy?" right? Because they're willing to do it. And th- that's the problem. It's not just a problem in boxing, it's all media. It's all entertainment. I mean, this shit's all connected, you know?
1: Oh yeah. We see it in the um, you know, the CNN Spectrum. It's it's basically a propaganda arm for the, you know, the left in in America. And um it, it's 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 changed. It really has from, you know, that independent source, that that fourth branch of government, you know, to uh keep everything in check. Um, you know, it's it's gone. And all we can do is now call it out. And as a boxing fan, I mean I call myself more of of a boxing fan than you know, than that. I know I love betting on the fights. It's almost it's better than investing in the stock market. I believe you have a better opportunity to make money off a sport like boxing than you do in the stock market, hmm. if you know what you're doing and you know what to look for. And it's, it's just a shame that, you know, that the sport doesn't kind of play that up as much. I think you're going to get a lot more fanfare when you, when you, when you attract that different type of demographic that's, you know, that wants to invest in the sport because gambling now is like uh, the new sub-economy of America. Yeah, It really has changed to that point. So, you know, boxing,
0: if you think about that, it's always been the difference was, you know, it was completely controlled by organized crime. Now the, the corporations have, have bought into it because yeah. they're like, why are we letting these, these guys make all the money? They still make organized crime still makes a lot off gambling, but these corporations that were bought in, that's the only difference.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, for me, it's the, it's the the best sport, you know, to make money off of if because, you, you know, if you know what you're doing, yeah. you have an advantage over the, the bookmakers because it's not like anything else. But yeah. I mean, uh, if you play play that up as well, you, you know, you get more subscribers as well because there's a lot of people looking for information. Information is money. Insider information is money. Sometimes, you, you know, do it legally, you know,
0: I was going to say, Thad, you know, your calls recently, man, because you've, you've been talking a lot about the betting aspect of it. Um you, you got me thinking yeah. sometimes maybe that's the direction I go in in the future. I, I don't know. I, I really don't know because, you know, I, I do some fight commentary on some club shows and stuff, particularly here in the Southeast, but I've done it yeah. out West and stuff. And I, I might build that up. And I've thought about maybe getting into judging or, you know, what direction do I want to go when I'm done fighting myself? And then I think about it. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should, maybe I should just go the betting route because I know so much of the bullshit going on behind the scenes. I would, I would. Be able to probably make some pretty good money, you know, just based on some of the things we talk yeah. about right here, you know, uh, and help others make money. And,
1: and you know what? You have like the highest level of intelligence in regards to the boxing industry, and, and you could see how the fights are going to play out. But you, you'll, you lack that uh, real-life experience in the game. And I, I've been in gambling since I was in college. I was, I was running a sports book myself, okay? So I've been around it for almost 30 years. And um, maybe more, actually. So you're around it, and uh, there's some nuances to it that you can only learn through life experiences because you can get seriously hurt if you don't know what you're doing in this yeah. game. And um, you, one mistake, and you go off to the, the reservation, they call it on tilt. You go on tilt, and you can never recover. It's happened to everybody. And um, that's why you have to have you know the right mindset to to and, and bankroll you have to have a bankroll you cannot have any kind of play unless you already have money that you can afford to lose mm. There's a lot of guys bet with bookies that, that are, that's on credit and you get down in a hole you don't have the money to pay then then that's where the trouble starts
3: yeah i know that and
1: that's when the law enforcement get involved
0: i grew up around that i grew up around that shit <laughs> i got uncles and cousins yeah there. i got stories on that side of it
1: yeah <clears throat> And, and law enforcement, you know, they're, they, they're, they're on they're to it because they're like, well, we want to take out these bookies that are hurting people. Um, but when it's legal and it's online, which it is now, you could pretty much find a gambling casino or online site pretty much anywhere in America. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, it's the Wild West. It's almost like the gold rush. Now is the platform for people, you know, with, mm-hmm. with, with inside info to get involved and take advantage. Mm-hmm. Because just like boxing is um, cannibalizing itself with the crappy rankings and, you know, the, you know what we're seeing with the WBC and WBA, they're taking their own. So why not somebody else? Why not somebody else get what's coming to them? And it, it's a great forum on, online to hear other people's opinions. And we share a lot of good information here. You know, I wish I was able to call in last week. I could have, you know, gave a few pearls on what I found out about the fights coming up mm. that last weekend. And Flores, he was, he was actually an underdog. He wasn't the favorite. Oh, really? He called it a, uh, an upset, but
2: okay.
1: yeah. No, Flores was, it was an underdog. Yeah. He was, it was a slight underdog. You had to, you had to pay money to take his opponent, but um, yeah, he was not the favorite and uh, Joette Gonzalez, he was a slight favorite minus two fifty. And let me just say, Joette Gonzalez, it's your own fault. You lost that fight because you didn't, go for the knockout. You didn't press the action. And, and and Mike, what's up with the featherweights and lightweights and all these smaller guys refusing to throw punches?
2: Yeah. yeah,
1: Triple G hit Canelo 240 times in one fight and 230 times in the other fight. And these guys, these lighterweight guys, featherweights are hitting each other 100 times. Yeah. Devin Haney won a fight landing like 109 punches. Are you oh, crazy? I was, I was talking Henry about it earlier. Nevada landed
0: Flores landed 57 punches in that fight. And he, these are lightweights. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Meldrick Taylor used to land 57 punches around. He threw oh, 100 yeah. punches around in his prime. Yeah. Okay. And, and Andrew Galata landed over 400 punches in the second Riddick Bow fight. You believe that? A heavyweight. He landed over 400 punches in that fight.
0: I remember I jo, Joe Calzaghe a- landed over 1,000 punches. Uh, oh uh jeff lacy it's crazy the stats are oh just my insane god yeah
1: <clears throat> i remember that fight i watched it in my friend's restaurant and oh my god what a see that was a different time and guys let their hands I know, go it wasn't it, it wasn't that long
0: ago you know like it, I, I it's it's crazy man I, everyone's it's so protective and i get it you know, I, I get it, but some, like you said, especially with those little guys, you got to let your damn hands go. You got to, you know,
1: man. Seriously, yeah. you're not heavyweights. I mean, geez. It, right. You know what there should be, Mike? Maybe you could lobby for this at Ring. Maybe there should be a minimum punt, uh, punch count to actually win a round. Maybe you have to throw or land a certain amount of, like, an arbitrary number at each weight class to be qualified to win a round. Because sometimes you're seeing a guy land eight punches in a round and getting credit for the win? No. It should be, if if both fighters don't land the the equivalent amount of what's required, it should be an even round and then move on. Maybe they'll force fighters to fight. Because now we have this defensive-minded bullshit, you know, that that fighters like Haney has adopted from guys like Mayweather and and Zaheer Rahim and all those guys in the past that used to stink out the joints. Now it's like a regular occurrence. All right? This has to stop not only from a fan's point of view, but geez, how the hell can you win a fight when you're, when you're landing minimal punches at, at a, at a weight where you don't have any power. It's, it's beyond ridiculous. So maybe there should be a change in the rules, you know, to force guys to fight and, and, and just get away from this defensive mindset. If you want to play defense, go play soccer. Okay. Go kick a ball. The go real box. Dino Wells you in the chest uh, is,
0: fighters want to look too pretty these days. I think, I think that's what it is. I think, um these guys want to look yeah, pretty they don't want to get hit there's also but but that there's a lot of fans out there if they see a fighter get hit they think oh this guy sucks man you're going to get hit it's boxing and, and there's plenty of the best <sighs> fighters in the history of the sport that got hit in fights you could get hit and come back and win getting hits part of it, but nobody wants to get hit anymore, but I need to correct something. I said, uh, Kalsagi landed a thousand punches against a He threw a thousand punches. I'm going to make sure I get that. True right. It. But three he landed thousand. three, 400 yeah, punches. That in that fight. Um, but just him, right. A just Super a little middleweight little throwing a thousand punches, <laughs> you know, in a 12 round, I think of. that was a title unification. I think, um, yeah, that's unheard of, you know? So anyway, um, what, what else you got? I've yeah. been going you know, for almost you- 20 minutes, bro. So
1: oh, my God, Thank you for the time, but I'll just leave you with this you know and and again, it's generational to generation and uh in the 1920s, you saw Jack Dempsey, he used to uh cover his face with a resin that like a bark resin that you get from trees to toughen up his skin so he can get hit and not get cut because he was a fighter, he knew he was going to get hit. he had to take punches to deliver punches, right. Maybe that mindset needs to be adopted today, and we'll start seeing. You know, some fighters actually, you know, become superstars and, and attract some of those fans that are watching Jake Paul. All right. and start watching some real fights, real world-class opposition. Cause let me tell you, tell you guys, guys like Jake Paul are stealing your money. They're taking it from your own table and children. Okay. And you're left holding the bag. So get, you know, you better change. So that's all I got to say, Mike. Uh, you know, thank you for the, uh, the 20 minutes and sorry for going over. It's but, all good. You know, a it's and, all good. Man. It's it's a good good
0: stuff today, brother. Appreciate it, man.
1: Thank you. Have all a good there one.
0: There he goes, guys. Um, I want to get to one comment here, uh, related to Thad because Michael Mendiola, uh, didn't did like, um, Thad's take on the Jake Paul thing. Um, Mike, Mike says, uh, did Thad just say the best we have is Jake Paul, dear Lord, only a casual would say that. So, so Mike, um, I don't think that's what Thad was saying. I think he, with what Thad was saying is that in terms of commercial box office appeal, you can make an argument that's South of Deontay Wilder, right? Cause we don't know if he's ever going to fight again. Um, the guy that is bringing in the most eyes with casual fans and doing the biggest numbers overall with casual fans, it might be Jake Paul. Now, we got to see, because maybe it was a little fad, his first few fights, because they did big numbers. He had one pay-per-view, I think the tr- one on Triller that did over a million buys, apparently. That's what re- was reported. I can't verify this, obviously, but that's what was reported. But I think his his last one did not do very well. So it could have been that it was like a fad, and now it's fading. But the dude has the it. Just look at the dude's social media traffic. And I, I tell you guys, a year ago, Okay, If you were to Google Hasim Rahman, if you just were to type in Hasim R-A-H, Hasim Rahman Sr.'s name would pull up. I did a little experiment today, and I typed in H-A-S-I-M space R-A-H, and the first name that popped up, Hasim Rahman Jr. Not his father, who was the legit heavyweight champion of the world. Briefly. It was brief, but he was the champ. Junior's name auto-filled in my Google search before senior's name. And that is 100 percent because of Jake Paul. So there is an effect happening here. I think that's what Thad was getting to, Mike. I don't think he was saying he's the best young fighter in America. I mean, obviously, that's not what, what he was saying, but you can you can you can't really deny that the guy it has started to make a mark. The thing I give him credit for more than anything else, again, was that Taylor Serrano fight, getting that done. Let's see what happens with this Rockman fight. Okay, back to the phones. We're only going to take a couple more here, guys. Um, we got nine oh one. I think this is Memphis, Tennessee on the show. What's up? How you doing?
2: You know, I think it's Memphis, too. But uh, <laughs> hey, Mike.
0: How you doing, uh, man?
2: This is C-Lon. C-lon. Hey, um, any- hey, how you doing? Uh, back in Memphis. I'm missing Jersey already. Um, Danny Garcia was never uh, undisputed. He had two of the belts. Oh, okay. And I can't remember who had had the other two. I know uh, Lamont Peterson uh, won two of them from Khan, tested positive, and was stripped of one of them but got to keep one. I think he got to keep the IBF when he uh, tested positive. Damn, you're right, dude. I'm just looking.
0: See. Yeah. When he beat yeah. Matisse, that was for the WBC and WBA. I'm sorry, guys. Thank you for correcting me on that, Ceylon.
2: Hey, no sweat. Um, also, I, you mentioned something earlier, and I'd like to, I'm curious, I'd like to hear an explanation for it. Why on earth would PBC, PBC ever sacrifice Thurman to uh, uh, Virgil Ortiz? When they've got a, enough up-and-comers, they could offer them to, uh, to Boots Ennis, who's not a PBC fighter, officially, but he fights only on PBC cards, only PBC fighters, and he's even headlined a PBC card. So, you know, unofficially, he, he is. And uh, so why not sacrifice him to Boots Ennis instead, or... Um, you know, let let uh, Spence beat the dog piss out of him uh, instead of fighting Crawford. So that's my question: Why would why would PBC let Thurman take his whooping from uh, Ortiz?
0: I get what you're saying from a, from a business point of view. I completely understand. But see, to me, this is where the sanctioning organizations are supposed to come in and force the promoters to do the right thing instead of working with the promoters and doing their bidding. So let's say that the number one guy in the P in the WBC right now is Ennis. And the number two guy was Ortiz and the WBC mandated those two fight to become the mandatory. That is what a sanctioning organization should be doing. We should see the WBC say, fuck golden boy, fuck top rank, fuck PBC. These are the two guys that got to fight to fight the main man that's what used to happen but now what you see increasingly brother is you see the promoters and it's not that this didn't happen back in the day i mean uh don Suleiman senior right (laughs) not mauricio mauricio's dad he took so much money from don king in the 80s it's not even funny and the 90s Um, so it's been happening but it's happening now at a global level it's just different now
2: WBO is commonly known as Warren Boxing Organization outside the U.S. So, yeah, yeah nothing new
0: about it. it. And it's, we Bob's organization here in the U.S., right? Uh, and then Bob was f- committing yeah, fraud yeah. <laughs> with the IBF back in the day, so Bob's no angel here either. Uh, again, it's nothing new. The difference now is it seems like every major promotion has their own sanctioning body to work with. There's, there's just zero justification okay. for Thurman being number one. Zero.
2: Oh, none whatsoever. Yeah, it's just it's, it's it's silly stuff, right? But um, you know there, we're, we're, we're there's zero justification for Timothy Bradley Manny Pacquiao three as well. <laughs> uh, so yeah. you know there's there 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 seems to be a um, it's almost like the entire business of boxing colludes to irritate the people who care, the fans. <laughs> yeah. Boys. mike i'm enjoying your show today thank you so much sir
0: thank you man it's, it's good to hear from you cilana it's been a while man <laughs> yeah
2: it's been a while all right buddy take care
0: all right you too man all right let's um make sure i didn't miss anything here in the chat mitch Pryor says i'm crazy i am i think thurman can beat these guys Mitch, you are crazy. You are crazy, sir. Look, would it be amazing if Keith Thurman came back and fights Errol Spence and beats him? Yeah, dude, that'd be crazy. I'd, I'd love to see that because it'd be an upset special. Not because I hate Errol Spence. I'd love a great upset like that. You know, and then coming back from being beat by Pacquiao, and he comes back and beats Spence. Then he fights. Uh, then he fights Terence Crawford and beats him. That'd be amazing, dude. But it's not gonna happen. This happens if this was a movie if this was hollywood then it would happen okay let's get last call the day man let's hear from nacho because i know he's going to have some great stuff nacho what's up brother
3: hey mike what's going on uh just listening to uh <clears throat> dad, uh call in right now um and you know make a lot of good points about uh different things that were going on um there is one question i had for you mike i don't know if you know If this is uh, something, because you've been talking about this Jake Paul fight uh, recently. So I know he has to weigh in at a certain number. And then he's only allowed to, quote unquote, rehydrate uh, the next morning to a certain number. But is there anything stopping him from adding more weight after the the rehydration in the morning? Meaning, can't he add another 10? 10 or 12 pounds of water weight, uh, after the morning weigh-in?
0: I, I think so. Yeah. I think as long as he comes into the rehydration weigh-in, um, cause like I, I'm with you, I think it's like early afternoon or, or late morning, something like that. The day of the fight, uh, as long as he makes that weight, yeah, he's good. Um, to me, I, I haven't heard anything that like he has to weigh in right before the fight or anything like that. No.
3: Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking, because I was thinking, let's say they make him weigh in the next morning and he has to weigh in at, what did you say it was, 210?
0: I can't remember. I, mean, I, I think he it's made, 210.
3: Okay. Yeah, if he weighs in at 210 in the morning, there's nothing stopping him from being able to go back, eat lunch, drink a bunch of fluids, and not be 220, 225 by the time the fight actually starts. So, I mean, I'm just saying that, I don't think it's as huge of an advantage as some people are are making it out. I mean, I I think he should be fine if he can make the two ten without any issues, but I mean, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how that whole situation plays out as far as if he even makes 200 to begin with, because I'm kind of skeptical that he can even make 200, but you know, we'll, we'll find out next weekend. um, And then uh, just real quick with the fights that happened this weekend, Mike. Um, Fab brought up a point about how it's interesting how guys below, you know, 135 or below don't throw as much, uh, as many punches as they should. But I kind of have a, a, an answer to that. In the fight between uh, Gonzalez and Dog Bay, the biggest indictment, Mike, was the fact that the referee never once penalized Dog Bay at any point for the multiple holding and mauling that he was committing in that fight. I mean, he did it so many times, it's not even funny. And to me, I've always said this, Mike, if you do not start penalizing these guys on the inside and force them to actually have to throw punches and fight, we're never going to see guys actually you know, um, have a rhythm and a flow in a fight because if a guy's allowed to throw three or four shots, and then, as soon as the other guy gets in close, he's allowed to maul and hold. Then, yeah, it makes for an ugly, drawn-out fight. But if uh, referees start holding these guys accountable according to the rule book and actually start penalizing them for holding and mauling, I think you'd see a lot more um, action-filled fights. But that's just my opinion. You know, I don't know. Uh, maybe I'm crazy or, or or something. If if you call it by the rules in the book, maybe we'd see a change. But I don't know. And then, uh, with, uh, Gabriel Flores and, uh, Cabrera, I don't know, Mike, after seeing that fight, I, I think that kid legitimately needs to go back to the drawing board if he's going to continue, but somebody, I don't know if it's going to be top rank or somebody else. Somebody needs to get the father out of that corner because I think the father is what's hampering this kid's development at this point.
0: I completely agree, man. Look some father son teams work but that's like the popular new thing particularly in American boxing and let's be honest nacho most of the time it don't work at the at the highest level it can work in the amateurs for sure it can work early on in the career and shit this kid's only a prospect but I'm saying look at teo and his dad um I think I think Danny Garcia's father held him back you know i I think some of these just father son yeah. relationships don't work man
3: yeah, no, for sure. I, I just think it's very uh, rare that father-son relationships work. And and if the kid wants to continue, I legitimately think they need to bring somebody in. You got to have a legitimate trainer that's going to hold this kid accountable. And he's going to tell him the truth about what's going on with him. Because if not, then, you know, we're never going to see how good this kid can be. Because at this point, He's not learning anything. And, and the kid yeah. admitted it in the interview. He said, I'm not listening to my father. Yep. So
2: yep.
3: if the, if the fighter's admitting it, then that means there's a problem. And in order to fix that problem, you're going to have to bring in somebody who the kid will listen to. So unless that happens, then I, I, I don't see this kid getting any better. And I don't see, um, the situation, uh, changing anytime soon. If, um, if he's not going to bring in a real trainer. And then uh, lastly, Mike, um, I just had a couple of tidbits that I just wanted to uh, hear you comment on uh, um, that I learned this weekend. So Gabe Rosado apparently has hired um, Ivan, uh, Ironboy Calderon to be his new trainer. What do you think about that?
0: Interesting. Huh. Has is, is Ivan Calderon worked with anybody? Elite? mm mm-hmm.
3: I heard that he's a tr- he's become a trainer the last few years, but as far as, like, is there a name or, That's like, a I'm prospect saying. that he's worked with? Not that I'm aware
0: of. Because I, I think he's got, like, a few young guys he's working with. I mean, Ivan Calderon was, like, yeah. a, a consummate boxer. You know what I'm saying? His style was very mm-hmm. much as a boxer. So if you're trying to develop that part of your craft or whatever, he'd be a good guy to look to, but... I just don't know of anybody at at that level that he's worked with, you know, so there's no track record.
3: Yeah. 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 I just, I just found it kind of interesting that uh, Rosado picked him of all people. Like that's kind of a, just like a out of left field. I was like, Whoa, that's interesting. But I mean, I don't know. I guess we'll see what happens with, with that pairing. And then the last thing Mike that I wanted to bring up was, um, uh Lee Wood and Leo Santa Cruz apparently has been mandated to happen. After Leo holding that belt hostage for the last three years and it's and they're negotiating the fight now. If that fight happens, I think Lee Wood wins that fight. Yep. But do you think Santa Cruz puts any kind of resistance up?
0: I think he will early on, but I mean just if you look at the momentum of their careers, Lee Wood's coming off a big <clears throat> win over Michael Conlin, that knockout win. Uh, where he was losing that fight, I believe. I can't remember what the scorecards were at the time of the stoppage.
3: But Yeah, I think he was down like like a couple of points before he knocked him out.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, if Michael Conlon's outboxing you, Leo Santa Cruz definitely can. My question is, can Leo keep Leewood off of him for 12 rounds? Here's another question. Is Santa Cruz going to be willing to travel? Because he's never traveled before. He refused to travel for Frampton. So, uh, if it comes mm-hmm. here... Santa Cruz has a real chance, man. He has a real chance. All you got to do is go the distance.
3: Yeah, that's true. I mean, I'm thinking that the only way that fight happens, like you said, Mike, I think maybe they would agree to fight Wood on the East Coast, like in New York or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I can't see him going overseas to Ireland to actually fight him out there. I agree. I don't think that happens at all. Um, And then the last thing was – Uh, Joshua Boazzi and John Pascal were ordered to fight an eliminator. What do you think about that fight?
0: Well, if I'm Boazzi, I want Vada involved in that fight because Pascal's a juicer, but I actually think Boazzi wins that fight, man.
3: Yeah. I'm I'm not all that impressed with what I saw uh, Pascal against, uh, saying a couple months ago, I think well, he's kind he, of at the if very... If he's not on steroids. steroids,
0: he's not the same guy. I mean, I'm just going to call it out. I mean, yeah. it is what it is.
3: Yeah, that's what I was going to say. He's he's a 40-year-old fighter at this point, so yeah, yeah, I think Boate should just take that fight and like you said, as long as there's testing, why the hell not? Take it and then beat this guy. It's a name on your resume for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. All right, Mike, that, that's my call.
0: All right, thanks a lot, Nacho. Have a good one, brother. You too. Well, Torian says Buatzi's getting knocked the f out. I don't know. Hey, if there's Vada testing to where Pascal can't do like eight different drugs like he was doing for a while there, um, I actually I like Buatzi in that fight. I do, and I agree with you, uh, Torian, that Buatzi doesn't throw enough. But I just think with the youth and everything, I think he's physically stronger at this point. Yeah. Uh Michael Mendiola in the chat says Leo Santa Cruz won't go across the pond because of his father's poor health. He won't risk it. And Derek Williamson was talking about Leywood can't travel because of MTK links. It can only happen in the UK. So there you go. I, I don't know what's going to happen with that one, guys. But if that fight between Santa Cruz and Leewood actually happens, I want to see it in the UK because that's where the crowd's going to be better. It's going to be a more fun atmosphere, more competitive fun fight in my opinion. So if it happens, that's where it needs to happen. All right. Good show. Good calls. Reminder guys, no Friday wrap up on my channel. Um, this Friday, no TNC next Monday. We'll be back for the Friday wrap up on my channel next Friday. All right. I saw a couple new people on the chat today. Make sure you subscribe and make sure you get over to my channel, Montero unboxing and subscribe there. All right, guys, have a great week. Enjoy the fights this weekend. Uh, I'll be off for a week. I'm going to do a little bit of traveling with the wife, and then we'll be back here uh, picking it back up in August. All right?
2: Peace. I'll see you at the fights.